In today's show, I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Magic podcast, Big Phil, Philip Rossman Reich. We're going to talk about the magic, their rotation, lots of different questions. Mick Bolton, he's going to sit here and listen in. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at LockedOnFantasyBasketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Basketball Monster is open, I think, depending on when you listen to this, um, for the season. Our first projections are out. There's going to be articles filtering through and more information put through as we find out more and projections adjust, but it's all there. We're ready to go, so go over and check it out, BasketballMonster.com. We're doing an Orlando Magic season preview today looking at their comings and goings and starting lineups and rotations and key questions around this squad. Let's bring Phil in. Let's get it on, Gilly. (laughs) Phil, welcome back to Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Good good to be back. It's it's, it's something I look forward to every year because it means the season's almost here, apparently. (laughs) We're getting really close. We're about two months away from the NBA season uh, getting uh, getting started. Not that far away from preseason training camp, all of that stuff. So we're just getting a baseline on some of these teams that we're going to be talking about, of course, your Orlando Magic as the host of the Locked On Magic podcast. This is a team, we'll cover this a little bit later on, that didn't do a huge amount in the offseason when we look at just the changes on the roster. It's Polo Bunkero, number one overall pick. Caleb Houston, second pick in the second round. Kavon Harris is a two-way guy. And that's really it. They just brought back a lot of the same guys. They lost Robin Lopez and Iggy Brez-Dakis. But I was going to cover this later on. We might as well do it now. What do you think the, the plan of that front office was just in terms of not really shaking anything up? I mean, I think the, the biggest thing is is they still just have to figure out what they have. Um, you know, Obviously, you're bringing in the number one pick in the draft. And, and to say that they... Did nothing is yeah like you look at the, the the chart that's on the screen if you're if you're watching watching here they didn't do very much but the one thing they did do was bring in a, a player that can be kind of a foundational player and you know I think overall Orlando liked the way that they ended their season last year they felt like guys were beginning to really get things they liked just the general vibe of the team uh, and so now they just want to see how are these puzzle pieces going to fit together? Can these puzzle pieces fit together? And and, and so then they could start figuring out, okay, how do we take our next steps? They know they're incredibly young. They know that they're going to make a ton of mistakes. It's just now, can we crystallize that into something that maybe might be a winner in the next year or two? Um, And so this is kind of another season to just kind of figure out what they have. So, Polo comes in. I think he's a great fit for the Magic. I had him at number two on my board, but in terms of just fit, I think it works perfectly with this Magic team because they needed that guy who could be that offensive um, engine and run a lot of stuff through. Do you think that he will be that number one guy basically from day one where he is the guy that's getting you know, the bulk of the usage and the ball is running through him offensively or will they sort of try and ease him in with the goal of that being maybe where he takes it in year two? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you see this with a lot of a lot of uh, uh, teams like this with so many young guys. Is 
yes, there's going to be games and there's going to be probably a, a fair amount of games where Paolo is the guy and Paolo is getting all the shots, but then there's going to be some games maybe where they're moving the ball. And, and, you know, I think one thing that took a lot of people by surprise during summer league is just how willing of a passer Paolo Bancaro is, how, how willing he is to keep the ball moving and not necessarily force things. If, if anything, I think the magic are kind of trying to nudge him to, to start forcing them some things. And yeah, he made some mistakes at that point um, during the summer league. But, but I do think at the end of the day, Paolo is going to kind of emerge as the number one guy or as a guy that they're going to be comfortable running a lot of offense through. They've experimented with him at playing some point guard during summer league. You know, I don't think they'll do that to that extent um, in, in the regular season, but I think we'll see plenty of, of opportunities for Paolo to kind of run the show and be kind of the lead playmaker or lead kind of organizer for this team, uh, depending on who else is in the lineup. And so they're going to play him in a lot of different roles, I think, and, and kind of see what works and what doesn't. And that's kind of the experimental nature of, of this coming season. This question might take 20 minutes to answer, <laughs> but Philip, what is happening with Jonathan Isaac? Because he tore his ACL in August 2020. That's a 12-month injury. We are two years removed from that injury. He hasn't played a game since. The Magic gave us no updates really at all until we in a random interview in like March. I think it was late March. They said, oh yeah, by the way, just had hamstring surgery as well. Um, so we just don't know what's going on with Isaac. Yeah. Real, well, I don't know. Do you know what's going on? Is he ready to start this? Because I could have said, yeah, at the start of last season, he probably should have been ready because it would have been 14, 15 months since he's... In fact, I did say it on this podcast. It's 15 months since an ACL tear. He should be ready to go. Yet here we are uh, another year later and he hasn't stepped foot on the court. So do you have any more information on John Isaac? I would have said the same thing last year. As you said, I was kind of targeting like, oh, if, if everything lines up correctly, he should be ready for camp. No reason he shouldn't be. And obviously he, he wasn't. Um, there is a photo of him going around from an Orlando Magic camp, uh, Orlando Magic kind of youth basketball camp, uh, where he was dunking, um, which is a really positive step, but it is just a photo. Uh, so who's to say what happened after that? Uh, as, as some Magic fans have joked, there is no proof that he landed. Um, but uh, it, it's it's really hard to say. Um, you know, Isaac did speak to uh, the, the team's website after – that basketball camp and said he's he's feeling really good he feels like he sees the quote light at the end of the tunnel um so you know whether that means he's ready for camp the magic will 100 not say that they're putting zero timelines on him they're going to be extremely cautious with him throughout the course of the season uh, as uh, i think jeff waltman is right to say this at this point it's been two years since he's played in, in on an nba basketball court, court they are going to have to ease him back into things it's just not clear if easing him back into things means he'll be ready for the start of training camp. He'll be ready to play with some limitations um, or if it's still just part of that rehab process. Um, it's been a very, very confusing process to, to bring him back. The Magic are notoriously quiet about everything as the whole league learned, but they've been notoriously quiet with injuries. I, I think they've allowed kind of an information vacuum to fill to, to, to be left open for people to to fill things in. And, and and obviously it's been disappointing that he hasn't been able to play because he's a really interesting and special player. But um, if he's not ready, he's not ready. And, and that's really all anyone can say, you know, with any kind of certainty. I think these teams that, and the Magic are one of the worst offenders at it, um, who don't give this injury information, I think it's really unfair. Or, or not, not for fans, I said, but for the players. Because... We're sitting here going, this is a 12-month injury. Let's take two years. Yeah, yeah. Is Jonathan Isaac soft? Does he care about basketball? What is going on? Are the Magic deliberately losing games? Like, just tell us what's happening. Like, did he have a setback? Did something else go on? Because people will, will, 
will speculate. They will because again, this is not like a, a an open ended timeline for a recovery from this injury. This is a yeah, it's eleven twelve months. That's that's your return time frame. And I think it's really unfair the pressure that places on the the players, the distrust that causes from the community and the fans through to the organisation. Were you feeling any of that for, through the fan base and vitriol maybe spewed towards the team or towards Isaac for this yeah, unprecedented recovery time? Uh, completely. Um, you know, and I, I agree completely. It's I know it's a criticism I've levied at the team. And like, look, I, I get them not wanting to put a timeline on an injury, not not wanting to come out and say directly, we expect him to be ready for training camp. Um, I get that, or, or you know, even last year's training camp. I get that part. They don't want to put pressure on the player to come back sooner, uh, sooner than they're ready. Um, at the end of the day, everyone's body responds to to rehab, responds to. Uh, this process differently. And so, yes, it is typically a 12 month recovery from an, for an ACL, but that doesn't mean it's a 12 month recovery for everybody. And so I, I do agree with them for not putting a timeline on it, but I do disagree in saying like, Hey, just tell us what he's doing. Is he playing three on three? What's he doing on the court? You know, what is he able to do? And just giving kind of periodic updates about that, that just quiets everybody. And look, you know, I, I don't think Jonathan Isaac helped himself by, uh, by going to other media and promoting his book. Um, his book itself is a point of some debate and contention that is not worth going into in, in this show in this show and in this venue. But um, there was just, again, like I said, an information vacuum that people wanted to fill. Um, you know, when Isaac was made available uh, to at least the team media, even the team media, just to, even friendly media, just, just something from him so that we know he exists. Um, someone, you know, he posted, I think the photo of him dunking, someone responded to him like, Oh, responded to him. You ever going to play? So he's hearing it directly too from fans and, and, and laughing it off. And I think he's done a good job, you know, not kind of spouting off at anyone. He's usually, he's usually a pretty calm and cool guy anyway, but um, it's, it's, it's been frustrating for everybody. I'm sure it's been frustrating for the magic. I'm sure it's been frustrating for, for Isaac himself, but the lack of information has been, I think a major, uh, PR misstep for this team and and it and it's led to people trying to fill in these gaps and trying to say things that you that you just said and 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 it's it's definitely out there. If he's not ready for training camp, then it's it's yeah, it's it's pretty ludicrous to be honest. Look, if the, if especially if they don't give any updates, and I just there's got to be something else that is going on with it because it's not you know you might take 14 months from an ACL, you don't take over two years. So there's something else that, that is happening if if that ends up being the case. What about Jalen Suggs? Though? He did have an ankle problem and some surgery at the end of last season. Is he? Or do we? I'm assuming we know nothing, but we have to guess <laughs> that he's ready to go for um the start of the season. Yeah, there's there's uh there's no there's no official update um because again the magic don't update play update anyone's injuries but uh Jalen has posted some video of him on on his social media of him playing uh pickup games so it you know I, it sounds like he is kind of back up and running uh, I believe he was uh I believe he said directly at summer league that he was back doing on court work back in July. Um, so again, it's just about kind of rebuilding strength, going through whatever last bits of rehab. But he he is back on the court, and, and from all that I understand and know, he I would expect him to be ready for training camp. So I, I think his recovery is normal compared to, to to the other recovery the Magic have been watching here lately. Before we get on to talk more about this Magic, I'm going to tell you guys. I don't need to tell you, Phil, because you know all about it. But Bilpa, it's back with a new flavor: the Bilt Puff, the coconut, not coconut, cookie dough chunk. That's the flavor. There's coconut ones in there as well. I get so confused with all these great flavors. I don't know which one I'm talking about, but it's cookie dough chunk puff. And like every single Bilt Bar, this is covered in 100% real chocolate. Have you had the great pleasure of tasting the new cookie dough chunk, Phil? 
I have. It is it is up there pretty high on, on my favorite flavors. It's, I absolutely love it. Still waiting for that, that box to get out here to Australia so I can taste it, but it sounds delicious. Real cookie dough pieces, 100% real chocolate, high in protein, low in calories. Whether you're coming back from the gym or whether you're looking for a delicious and healthy treat, the Cookie Dough Chunk Puff Built Bar is one of those ones that you want to go for right now, and you can go and order them. It's very easy. You go to um, built.com. That's B-U-I-L-T.com, built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15. That'll save you 15% off your order of the Cookie Dough Chunk Puff, but also all of their other fantastic built products. Go to built.com, use the code LOCKED15, and you'll save 15% off your order of Built Bars. Built Bar is built different. All right, Phil. Your projected starting five for this Magic team is different from mine. You have got Markel Fultz, Gary Harris, Franz Wagner, Paulo Banquero, and Wendell Carter Jr. I have Suggs in there over Harris. Harris is one of those guys that they just brought back on a relatively team-friendly, relatively tradable deal. What makes you think that Harris will get... And Harris was slated to start opening night last season and then got injured in the warm-up, I believe, and Suggs moved straight into that spot after that. Um... Suggs, we talked a little bit about his ankle. I thought he had a good rookie season defensively. I thought he was excellent, like one of the best rookie guards in the NBA, if not one of the best we've seen in the last couple of years. Offensively, the shooting was pretty rough, and we, we know that that sort of yeah, casts a negative light on his overall production. I just think yeah, in terms of if you want Harris out there as a defensive guard, I think Suggs is almost at that similar level now. Why would you think they would go and prioritize Harris? Is it the injury recovery? Is it just some stability? Is it shooting? Why do you have Harris in there over Suggs? Yeah, and I, you know, this is honestly the big debate that Magic fans are having right now about the starting lineup. And I, and I think eventually you hope that Jalen Suggs will be in the starting lineup. But I, I do, like I think I said early last year, I do like the idea of Gary Harris there as a stabilizer, at least nominally. And we'll see how long this lasts. I do think the Magic want to position this team to win a little bit more. Um, you know, Jamal Mosley has said pretty directly, this year is about learning what it takes to win. And so I think having Gary Harris in the lineup to, to just be a, a floor spacer, to, to be a great three-point shooter so that Paolo, that Markel, that Franz have someone that they can pass out to and they can trust to hit a three-pointer. You know what you're going to get from him defensively. Just adding a little bit of defense, a lot of, a little bit of lineup balance. You know, you can have Jalen Suggs and Cole Anthony kind of split the ball handling duties off the bench. To me, I think that puts the magic in the best position to win. Now, again, we can debate whether the Magic are ultimately going to be trying to win by the end of the season. It is a very good 2023 draft, but I think at least the Magic want to start taking steps toward winning. And, and if that's the case, then I do think the lineup that you play does play a role with that. Now, does that mean Gary Harris is going to finish every game? No. There, there might there probably be nights that Jalen Suggs is, is going to finish that game. There's going to be nights where guys are hurt, where you know guys are out. And so the Magic, I think, feel very comfortable with Jalen Suggs stepping in at either guard position. Um, but right now, I think Gary Harris gives them the best ability and honestly the best chance to win. Because like you said, Suggs' offense last year was really bad and shooting is still at a premium on this Magic roster. That's true. There is some real issues with shooting. I agree with everyone else. I do think Fultz will start over Anthony and Wagner and Bunkera and Carter. I don't think there's really any debate with those guys. In terms of a five-man bench group, you've got Cole Anthony there, Suggs that we talked about already, Terrence Ross, Jonathan Isaac, and Mo Bamba. Um that leaves Trumrakiki on the outside looking in. You would expect if Isaac's missing time, and he will miss time. He'll miss some back-to-backs, that sort of thing. Akiki's on that outside looking in. But like people can get excited about Trumer at times and maybe overvalue him. Like where where is he sort of sitting in the magic plans? 
Yeah, I think that's a really, really good question. And, and you know, one concern that I've had about this team is that they're just so dramatically young. And, and so, you know, they're still hanging kind of over the overhead here that, that Terrence Ross has kind of informally made a trade request. Uh, he said uh, very early on in the offseason uh, that he went to Magic Management and said, hey, you know, I, I'd like to be playing for a winning team. You know, I'm not kind of up for a rebuilding team. He is on an expiring contract. So, you know, Chumo Kiki is someone that could slot in at the three if the Magic really need him to. So Okiki's kind of that kind of dangling guy out there where, you know, if Isaac's missing the back end of a back-to-back or, you know, Isaac's limited to 20 minutes per game, Chuba Okiki steps in and plays that role. You know, RJ Hampton's kind of in the same boat, although I think Chuba is certainly rated a little bit higher than, than RJ Hampton. So, you know, I think the Magic are still trying to figure out what they have in Chuma Okiki. You know, his good moments are really good. He's a great three-point shooter. He's super active defensively. But his bad moments can be really bad. Um, last year, they turned him almost exclusively into a three-point shooter, and he went through some prolonged cold stretches. He's honestly struggled to stay healthy himself. So, yeah. you know, I think there's a lot of questions about where Chima Okiki fits, and you know, he's kind of the odd man out in this rotation with all all the, especially the big forwards that the Magic have to offer right now. Yeah, exactly. Because you got you got Wagner, you've got Bunkero, there's Carter, there's Bamba, there's Isaac, like. It's not really a spot unless guys are hurt or guys are moved on from. So it is going to be intriguing there. Now, I ask you this question because I know that there are people who are listening to this or in the wider fantasy community or NBA community who th- seem to think that there might be a 24-24 Mo Bamba-Wendell Carter Jr. minute split. Bamba did have his restricted qualifying offer pulled and they re-signed him to a contract, which I thought was a little bit surprising. But my take on it is, is Wendell Carter is really good. And he's going to play 30 minutes plus a night. And Bamba is strictly going to be a backup pretty much, especially with Isaac and Akiki getting the minutes there behind Bunkero. Do you think we'll see much of that Bamba-Carter combo together? Will they platoon minutes? Um, please say no. But do you think it'll happen? Uh, I think it'll be very difficult to do so. It certainly won't be to the extent that they did last year. I actually like crunched the numbers and I think... Wendell Carter ended up playing something like 60, almost two thirds of his minutes with Mo Bamba on the floor with him. So, you know, I, I, I think that, that Wendell Carter can handle the center spot all by himself, but, but I do have a little lingering concern or a little lingering uh, uncertainty about Carter, Carter playing center full time without Bamba behind him. But then again, you'll have Franz, you'll have Paolo who are both capable defender or seemingly capable defenders behind him to help to help with some rim and paint protection as well. Um, I, I think I do think the platooning idea is, is going to be pushed to the wayside unless injuries force them to to go in a different direction um, or unless the Magic decide to go super, super big and play Franz at the two, which, you know, maybe they will. Who knows? Um, they're, they're, they're going to get weird at some point this season, which is part of what's exciting about this team. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that we're likely going to see them slot into more kind of cons- more traditional roles where Wendell Carter's playing 30 to 32 minutes a night and Mo Bamba's filling in the rest of those center minutes. Maybe there's a two or three minute matchup dependent where they'll play them together, but but I don't think that'll be a regular a regular grouping or a regular pairing for this team next season. That's how I see it. So I'm glad that we're uh, aligned with that. Let's have a look at some of the younger guys who have talked about Suggs and Bunkero. Um, we haven't talked about Franz Wagner, who was really, uh, I think, surprising. I think yeah, the Magic had pick four and eight last season. And I reckon if you reassess it now, Phil, they are much more invested and much higher on pick eight than they are in pick four. And that is Franz Wagner. But with Bunkero coming in, with a full season of Markel Fultz, with the return of Jonathan Isaac, yeah, where does Wagner fit in? Because we see a lot of players players go from first year to second year and take big leaps, big efficiency leaps, big usage leaps. Does Wagner do that? Or is that 
your game improvement going to be stifled a little bit by those other players coming in? Like, what, what does he do more than what he did last season where he played... I suppose we can look at it. He played under 31 minutes a night, so that could easily jump two or three. But yeah, is the usage going to jump up? Or is, he just, is this sort of just his role as that you know, third or second offensive guy? Yeah, I think that's a really fair question to ask. And, you know, honestly, I, I don't have an answer. I think one of the more fascinating things, like like I said, even with talking with Paolo Bancaro, is, is Paolo going to be the number one guy and have the ball in his hands a lot and take, you know, 15, 20 shots per game. Actually, you know, it's actually kind of funny. Like everyone was begging Franz Wagner to be on the ball more and his usage rate, you know, hovered just above 20%. He was still second on the team in field goal attempts per game last year and second on the team in total field goal attempts. Obviously he played a ton of games last year. So that, that probably helped with that too. Um, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen with Franz. You know, I would like to see him be on the ball a little bit more. I'd like to see them use him in pick and rolls a little bit more uh, and be a lead ball handler. Um, I'd like to see him be more aggressive and look for his shot a little bit more. I'd like to see him take some mid-range shots. He only shot like 50, I think it was less than 30 field, 30 mid-range field goal attempts last year total. Um, that, you know, this, that's the providence of the stars. And I think Franz has earned the right to be able to take that. So I, I think that there is definitely a desire to have Franz on the ball a little bit more, but I think what we'll see, and I think we'll see this kind of throughout the, the roster is guys taking kind of a healthy balance of shot diet. Like you won't see Paolo be just, just an ISO player. They're going to set him up in post-ups. They're going to set him up in pick and rolls. They're going to do the same with Franz. They're going to put him in more pick and rolls this year, but he's also going to still get the same kind of cutting actions and the same kind of three-point actions that he got last year too. So it's, it's really hard to kind of pin down what each player's role is. And it just might be kind of laissez-faire a little bit with, everyone kind of eating a little eating little niblets here and there in different roles and the magic kind of figuring out from there where to go next year on 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 who fits together and, and what their role should be so what about cole anthony who started out red hot at the beginning last season and then all basically all of his shooting numbers regressed to where he was as a rookie which was pretty poor like some real efficiency issues he's not afraid to take shots but he's not going to be tasked with that you know, being the guy who generates shots on the offense now, and we both expect him to be uh, the sixth man for this squad. So, yeah, how does he feel about that? We know that you know if you ask Cole Anthony that you know, who the best player in the NBA is, like he's going to say it's Cole Anthony. Like we we know that he's got extreme confidence. How's he going to adjust if this is indeed the role, or is he just going to go out and just be like, I'm jacking up every shot I possibly can um, when I'm out here in my in my you know, more limited minutes. Well, I mean, the good news is if, if that's the role that he really wants, the sixth man role is probably the best role for him. He'll be doing it against weaker competition. He will be the man in that lineup. I mean, you look at that, you look at that second unit that we had on, on, on the previous slide, who all, who's going to score in that group besides Cole Anthony. So if, if the magic are trying to convince him that a sixth man role is for him, they're going to put him in a position where he will have the ball in his hands a lot and he will take a lot of shots and, and the magic may ride or die on whether he's able to hit those shots. Um, I, I think it's a really fair question. You know, Cole Anthony has never had to be a sixth man in his life. He's never been anything but the main guy in charge. He was the main guy in charge last year out of necessity because the Magic really didn't have anyone else. You know, now they have Markel Fultz. Now they have Paolo Bancaro. You know, I think they're a lot more confident in what Franz and Wendell can do. So he's, you know, the mouths you have to feed, if he's, he's, you know, fallen down the pecking order a little bit here. Uh, and so I think a big part of this season and a big part of what the Magic are going to try and figure out this year is, will Cole Anthony accept this kind of a role? And then can he be successful and help a winning team in this kind of a role? And that's 
honestly probably been the question of his entire career from when he was drafted, you know, what, 15th, 16th in that draft, um, is whether he could accept that role and probably the reason why he ended up slipping down to 15 the way that he did to the Magic. And, and you know, Orlando would probably have tried to answer that question his rookie season, except Markel Fultz got hurt and he, and he got pushed into the starting lineup at a very, very young age, much sooner than I think the Magic wanted him wanted to him to or imagined he would. Uh, and that's obviously changed the way that his career's kind of gone his first two seasons. Phil, big question. We talked about it a little bit earlier, but why did this team run it back? Like, why did we just bring back Mo Bamba, not trade Terrence Ross, bring back Gary Harris? Like, what's what's the idea? Was the, the offer's just not there? They're just, you know, pushing, you know, kicking the can down the road and we'll reassess this in two, three months? Like, what are they trying to do with that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think part of it was there, there, that there weren't many better options out there. Um, you know, Orlando was one of the few teams with cap room this this offseason, and there just weren't any attractive free agents. You know, they they weren't going to be a team that was chasing down DeAndre Ayton. You know, they 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 wanted to keep their cap flexibility. They didn't want to overextend themselves so that they could kind of be nimble enough to make moves. I know Magic fans have talked a lot about Donovan Mitchell as a, as a potential target with what's going on now. Um, you know, I'm I'm on the little bit more of the wait and see, but I, I think the Magic could put together a really attractive package for Donovan Mitchell if they wanted to. And so it's kind of making sure that they're still positioned to do, the, do those kinds of moves. So, you know, they weren't interested in DeAndre Ayton. They like Wendell Carter. They just signed him to an extension. They didn't want to play him and pair him up with, another big and then have, you know, not know what to do with Paolo Bancaro. So that didn't make a ton of sense. I, I never bought any interest the magic had in miles bridges, even before the miles bridges, the miles bridges, you know, arrest happened. Um, I never bought that interest. And, and so you just looked at the free agent market and there was really no one, if they lose mobile, you know, there's reports that they were going to chase after Isaiah Hartenstein, which seemed interesting, but, you know, is Hartenstein that much better than Mo Bamba? Probably, you know, I'm not saying he isn't better. He probably is, but that much better, you know, maybe, maybe not. Obviously, Hartenstein made his decision to go go elsewhere. Um, who was better on the market than Gary Harris? You know, did the Magic really want to go go that much younger? And so, but the cap room the Magic had, they decided to just sign guys to two-year deals. The second year is non-guaranteed, so they can, if they want to, they can just go right back into the free agency pool next year. They have some big contracts they can move, if maybe they're a little bit further ahead than they think than they thought they were, uh, and really make some aggressive moves on the market. And so I think the Magic just said, "We like the vibes that we had last year. We like the chemistry of our of our team. Everyone is really bought into what we're doing. We really liked how we finished our season. Let's see if we can carry that over and, and see if we can build on what what worked last year." Uh, and then figure out where we need to go from there. So, you know, it, it it is a boring summer. I agree. I think a lot of Magic fans wanted them to do a little bit more and be a little bit more aggressive. But at the end of the day, they're a rebuilding team that needs flexibility more and stability more than anything. And so they went with stability and flexibility in that in that way. All right, now I've fixed the video freezing problem. So I apologize for me just you know, stuck staring at you while Phil was talking there for a while. I got another question for you, Phil. And I think I know the answer. This is a little bit just being provocative, I guess, but with the way that Franz Wagner played last season and I guess somewhat of the disappointment with Jalen Suggs, how are they still highly invested in Jalen Suggs? Do they still see him as that foundational, you know, piece that they thought when they were getting him at pick four last season? Or, you know, is Bunkero and Wagner have they sort of just pushed ahead of him at the moment? Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously you have data now. You have a full season. And I think the Magic want to give Jalen Suggs the opportunity. Um, you know, last season was filled with injuries. He missed 
uh, what two months with the with the with the wrist in, with the wrist injury uh, that really slowed him down, uh, and then obviously he had the ankle ankle issues. You know, I think there's still a lot of things they really like about Jalen Suggs. Um, but is he the guy that Magic fans thought they were getting when they were you know jumping up and down the aisles of the Amway Center when the Raptors took Scotty Barnes instead of Jalen Suggs? Probably not. You know, honestly, I would say. You know, you could tell who you could typically tell who the all stars are going to be after their rookie seasons. Now, they may not be at that level yet, but you could say, like, okay, there's something there. Um, you know, I think Jalen, I don't think we can say for certain that Jalen Suggs is an all star anymore. Um, but can he be a really valuable role player? Absolutely. You know, I, I would say that he, you know, if he could develop into a Marcus Smart or Drew Holiday, you know, Drew Holiday is an all star, obviously, but or was an all star at one point, but if he can be that defensive stopper at the guard spot and, and just really make that his niche and then become a respectable, respectable three point shooter, that would be a, a really fine career. Is it the career that we all imagine he would have back in the back on draft night? No, it, it, it absolutely isn't. It isn't, it isn't the kind of player that the magic thought they were getting. And luckily they got Franz Wagner who reinvigorated, who, who kind of filled that role. If you redrafted, you know, honestly, I think the magic would probably have taken Franz Wagner fourth or fifth. Um, and then ended up taking Jalen Suggs eighth. So they might've ended up with the same guys anyway, but the expectations for the eighth pick are different than the expectations for, for, for the fifth pick uh, in, in that way. And so, you know, I think if Suggs develops into a really strong all defensive level team player, which, you know, maybe he can get you, like you said, he, his defensive numbers were really, really good. Um, then they will still have a really valuable player, but is he the all-star you know, probably not anymore. I mean, can he get back there? Sure. Why? Sure. Absolutely. He can. But after his rookie season, I think you lower the expectation or you lower that ceiling just, just a little bit and, and see where he, he goes. Yeah. I do think you have to lower the expectation, but I am still pretty high on Suggs. And I think he's going to be, especially for fantasy, a really interesting later round guy this season who I think if he gets full crack at it and he's healthy, because he had some thumb issues, I believe last season and the ankle problem, which bugged him for most of the second half of the year. I think we might see something a little bit improved from uh, from Jalen this coming season. Like it's not unusual for guards to stink in their first year, like Darius Garland, for example, and then really put it together uh, in year two and especially year three and four as we go to there. So I'm just I'm I'm not writing off Suggs now. I'm pretty interested to see what happens with him this season. What what are the goals for this team this season, Phil? Like what are they trying to do? Uh, you know, I think they're just trying to get better, trying to win more games. Uh, you know, I think they want to feel a little bit of play, a little bit of winning pressure, not not a ton. Like, I don't think the goal is playoffs or bust or play in or bust or anything like that. Is there a universe where that happens? Yeah, they. I think they have the talent if, if everything comes together. But I think what they want to see is they want to be more competitive. Uh, they want to they want to win more consistently. I think they. I think you know, realistically, if they can get into the 30s win wise and. I know their over under is set set at like 27 and a half. So there's some improvement there from where they were last year. But if they can get into the 30s and kind of feel a little bit of playoff pressure and feel a little bit of winning pressure um, and, and show which direction they need to go to kind of get over that last hump, that will be a successful season. It's just about getting better for this young team. The Magic obviously didn't make any super aggressive moves to push them into the playoffs. They just want to see this group getting better understanding what it takes to win and giving them a better feeling of what it'll take to, to get this team to, to the, to that next level. Who's a breakout candidate on this team? Breakout candidate. Um, you know, I think Jalen Suggs is a really good, really good option. Like you said, uh, you know, he had a really rough season uh, and, 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 and obviously just needed to, and obviously just needs to be healthy to take that next step. I would keep an eye on Wendell Carter. Um, you know, I think the way Wendell Carter finished the season, especially 
was really, really strong. I think after the all-star break, he averaged 18, around 18 points per game. Um, especially with like Mo Bamba out of the lineup, he's going to get, he's going to get a few more rebounds. He's a really good defensive player. You could check his splits when like going up against Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic, he, he held his own. And so I think there's a lot. And and on top of that, I think he's a better passer than people give him credit for. Uh, and he really developed that three point shot last year to, to where he was just comfortable taking them. If he can bump his three point percentage up a little bit more too, he's going to be a really dangerous, dangerous offensive player in addition to how good he is defensively. So I think Wendell Carter is going to slipped under the radar a little bit toward the end of last season. If he can build on how he finished the season, he could be a really, really interesting player and a, and a player that a lot of teams are not going to want to face most nights because of his versatility uh, and his ability to defend at a high level. Who would you say is a regression candidate on this team? Someone whose numbers are going to be lower than they were last year? Uh, a regression candidate. Um, you know, I Magic fans are going to kill me for saying this. Um, I... I I don't think Markel Fultz is going to maintain kind of the, the the per 75 possession pace that he had last year, the per 36 minute pace that he had last year. Look, Markel Fultz was really good last year. And, and I hundred percent believe he should be starting on opening night and, and makes this team better. Um, but like, I don't think he's going to be averaging eight, nine assists per game or, or doing some of the things that he was doing consistently. I, I mean, I know some magic fans who are like, Look, if he can just be a decent three-point shooter, he could be back to being number one pick Markel. I'm just like, no, like, no, he's never going to be number one pick Markel. We just need Ricky Rubio Markel. If we can get Ricky Rubio Markel, that that's 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 plenty. So, you know, I I I love Markel Fultz. I think he's the best point guard option on this roster, but I, I don't think he is a runaway guy to 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 be a, a most improved player candidate, you know, just just playing for him sometimes feels like it, it would get him in most improved player. But he's going to be very good, but not necessarily like numbers wise, or not necessarily to the expectations that he seemed to set toward the end of last season. He saw a 50 percent increase in his assists per thirty six over his career, and he doubled his steal rate per thirty six as well. And it was only an eighteen game, so. I think you're right that those numbers and that level of expectation is too high and it is going to come down from there. It's just going to be really hard for me to see him maintaining that level of production in starters minutes and over the course of a full season. So I do agree with that. Do you think this team is better than last season? Yes, 100%. Um, just just adding, you know, like we said, we didn't they didn't do much to change, but Paolo Bancaro is is a really is going to be a very very good player. Um and and just doing that, you know, I think one of the things that we all thought about this team last year was they just have a lot of guys who are not in the right role and they just need one guy to kind of put to slide everyone into the role that optimizes them. You know, we don't really know yet if Paolo Bancaro is a number one option or not, but just having him there and having him as a potential threat to be potentially could slide a lot of guys into roles that they'll be much more successful with. So I, I think they, they, they did get a lot. They, did get better this year. Maybe not a lot better, but they did get better this this offseason. Yeah, I think that I don't really think you can debate that. We talked about the coming, comings and goings. And it's the, hard to be worse. On, on the goings, it's Robin Lopez. Like, who cares? And then you bring in Paolo Bonquero. So, yeah, they're going to be better plus internal development. I think the answer to this one's Terrence Ross, but who's the most likely player to be traded? Uh, it's Terrence Ross. Um, you know, I Terrence, again, there's a trade request kind of hanging over him right now. Um, you know, he's, he said all the right things. You know, he said, he's really excited about how, about this group. You know, I think he, he, I think he still likes being around this group. 
he's he just said, and I think he he he, he admitted that he told the front office this. He's just at a stage of his career where he wants to be on a winning team. So, you know, I think Terrence Ross is definitely a really good candidate to get traded at the deadline. If Gary Harris has another season like he had last year, um, you know, depending on where the Magic are at in the standings, that Gary Harris might be a very gettable uh, free agent again. You know, he's got that extra year on his contract. I, I think teams like having that extra year of control so they can maybe flip him again if things don't work out. Um, he was a very, very good veteran. I think it was a little surprising the Magic weren't able to move him last year. And I think some of that was, I think the Magic thought we're thinking about re-signing him even at the deadline last year. Um, if they get a really good offer for him or they get something that they really like or something that makes their team better, uh, it would not surprise me if Gary Harris or, or even Mo Bamba is a player that's on the move at the deadline. Their, their, their contracts were signed to be moved very easily if, if they needed to. We're going to end this show, Phil, by me asking you some questions about this team, some quiz questions. All right, okay. now, everyone who's been watching this show knows what we're going to do here. We're going to hit hit the basketball index talent grades, which is a reflection of the value of these players and what they did last season. Now, three-point shooting talent, we've got playmaking talent and finishing talent. And I'll give you a, a brief explanation. Shoot, three-point shooting talent doesn't mean who had the best three-point percentage. It's based on versatility of shot, contested nature, pull-ups versus catch-and-shoot, self-creation, all that sort of stuff. Playmaking is not who had the most assists. It's about the versatility of the passing, the gravity that's created, the hitting guys that are open, hitting guys in high-value positions, yeah, points off the shots, all, all that sort of stuff. And then finishing is not just you know who has the highest field goal percentage because you know, we're weighting more towards you know, getting to the rim and, and on drives versus like you know, getting offensive rebounds and not a hard shot. So yeah, just the idea is like, yeah, who's the best three-point shooter? Who's the best playmaker? Who's the best finisher rather than like who had the highest field goal percentage, who had the highest three-point percentage, that sort of thing. So there's a basic understanding. I just want to see how these numbers sort of tie into how the people that cover the team view it. And this one was really weird. For the, for the, well, not really weird, but it was tough <laughs> because we've talked about it, like the best three. I don't know who the best three-point shooter on this team was when I went in. We can this look is at, a 22-win team. Like, yeah. like, like. <laughs> the numbers aren't going to be great. And this number that came out to me or on basketball index for the th best three-point shooting talent from last season, it was a little bit of a surprise. But when you factor in, I guess, difficulty, it's part of it. So who do you think would have graded out as the best three-point shooting talent on this team? So I, I have a... Just based off all the criteria that you, that you put in there, I know he didn't have the best percentage last year, but that Terrence Ross takes a ton of three-pointers. He's got a ton of gravity. Like teams are top blocking him. They're doing everything they can to keep him from getting three-pointers. So the eye test would, would tell me that it's probably Terrence Ross. I have a feeling though, the numbers are going to say that it's Chuma Okiki or RJ Hampton though. Cause RJ Hampton got a lot of open threes and was really proficient as a corner three-point shooter last year. Chuma Okiki, like I said, shot almost exclusively three-pointers. Um, and when he made a bunch of them, he made them really, really well, and he was able to hit a few off the hit a few off the dribble or, or sidestep threes. Um, so I'm going to guess that Chuma Okiki is leading the team in three point shooting talent. Hmm. It was not. It was in Ooh, fact. Okay. It was in fact Cole Anthony. Oh. Because of because he's I probably guess, got the step back game. All the step backs, all of the pull ups, all yeah. of the self created threes. It now his grade was extraordinarily low. He's the only player who was above, um, who was a positive, and that was a 0 0.02 on their grade. So not particularly good, uh, but he was at number one in terms of three-point shooting time because of that difficulty. As I said, these are, these are quite hard, these ones. 
Um, this one's not that hard. Playmaking talent. Again, it's not just about assists, but that's part of it. It's about gravity, setting guys up, volume of passes, versatility of passes, getting them to the right spots. If if Markel Fultz played enough to be eligible, I I, I would think it's Markel Fultz. Yeah, he is, um, he is eligible, and it is Markel Fultz. Yes, yeah, it is Markel Fultz. Okay. It is <laughs> that, that was easy. <laughs> um, but this one made it. This was pretty interesting to me. Finishing talent. You're driving to the rim, putting pressure on the rim. Um, contested shots, how they go in. Like, who do you think would be the best finisher on this team? So, I have I have three thoughts on this. Um. First, first, I will say uh, Jalen Suggs was really good at getting to the basket. He could he not was. shoot worth anything at once he got there, um, but he he could get to the basket at, at will, um, and it was really impressive to see. And it's just you know, again, one of the hardest things to do is learning how to finish through contact, learning how to take contact, how to get to the foul line. Um, it, I, I'm probably going to stick that my guess is that Jalen Suggs leads the team in finishing talent. But I want to make make sure I point out Franz Wagner was also very good at getting to the basket and putting pressure at the rim. He was very, very, and he was a much more efficient finisher there. Um, and I also would like to say outside chance that this is Wendell Carter, who, you know, yes, he's a big man, so he's supposed to be around the basket, and, I, and I'm sure it weights, you know, differently for yep. big men. Uh, but he did a really good job getting to the basket as well, uh, even off the dribble from the from the mid or high post. Uh, he has this weird. Uh, if you've ever watched a Magic game, Wendell Carter has this weird kind of slow-mo pump fake, um, and it freezes defenders all the time because he's gotten to a point where he is a good enough three-point shooter that that teams respect his three-point shot, and he's able to kind of do this slow pump fake and dribble right by guys and get to the lane. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to my guess that it's Jalen Suggs, but if it's not him, I would guess that it's Franz or Wendell. Wendell was actually second on this oh, wow. team. Okay. Number one was Marco Fultz. Of course, of course, of course. He doesn't take any threes. All he does is really get to the rim. So he was right up there. And in the spirit of talking about Markel Fultz, I've got one more question regarding Markel Fultz. He returned from his ACL. He had these, you know, we talked about it already, all these playmaking talent that he was showing off. How many players had a higher assist percentage in the NBA than Markel Fultz last season? Ooh, that is, I can't imagine it was very many because otherwise you wouldn't ask this question. Exactly. Um, it feels like it feels like this is the trick question to say the answer is zero, and the reason why his number isn't bolded on Basketball Reference is he didn't play enough to to, to get it bolded. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yep. <laughs> um. So I, I'm gonna say zero, but I'm betting there's like one or two. The answer is one, and one, okay. that one was Luka Doncic. So okay. he had like a, I think it was like 48 percent. Um, assist percentage, which is a crazy high number. And that's why we are expecting there's going to be some sort of drop-off in those numbers because it's just so hard. Look, it can, if the only person doing it is Luca, it is really, really hard to be able to maintain that level of assist. At 49% assist percentage. And Luca, is, Luca was essentially the entire offense for the Mavericks. Like he, him and Trey Young yeah. probably were just... They, 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 the offense just died when they weren't in there. I think Trey was third in that in that metric. So yeah. that, they're, they're the top three. And yeah, Fultz looks like a little bit of an outlier there, but that's how good he was. But yeah, can he maintain that? Who knows? Phil, it's been great having you on again to talk Orlando Magic. Tell us what's going on over on the Locked On Magic podcast. Yeah, uh, right now, since we're in August and we're in the dead times, waiting for the schedule to come out, um, we're doing a, a little bit of a series on Locked On Magic as well as Orlando Magic Daily, uh, talking about... Uh, the best shooters in team history. Uh, you know, three-point shot is more important than ever uh, in, in the league today. And, and the Orlando Magic, in my opinion, 
uh, were really part of the revolution in three-point shooting throughout the league, whether it was Dennis Scott in the 90s or the or Richard Lewis, Hito Turkoglu, Stan Van Gundy in, in the late aughts in 2009, 2010, 2011, that really helped revolutionize uh, the three-point shot around the league and proved that it could be a winner. So we're we're examining and looking at the best shooters in, in Magic history and, and talking a little bit about Magic about Magic history as we wait for Eurobasket to begin and wait for the schedule to come out and wait for the season to start. Go check out those uh, those podcasts and articles that Phil has got going over there on the Locked On Magic podcast. Phil, thanks for coming on uh, Locked On Fantasy Basketball with me. No problem. Thanks for having me as always. And that will do it for me today. Sorry about the pausing of my video earlier on in the show. If you are watching on YouTube, apologies for that. But you can follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. If you're on YouTube, thumb it up. Leave your comments down below, guys. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.